our church has um, just kind of gone to door to door, as it were, and um, we've put together a little uh, thank offering, a gift for Jackie because she's been sorting out all of our accounting um, problems for weeks, and she's given a lot of selfless time to that, and so we have this little uh, gift for her in this uh, envelope, and so make sure now you can put some words of thanks to her when you see her maybe after the service and thank her for her help. We sure appreciate what she's uh, done. Thank you, Jackie, very much. Would you just turn that black for me, Randy? Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Did you notice in this hymn, in the in the first, oh man, I don't, I don't know music. It says, from our fears and sins release us in the second line, but in the first line of the second line. We're in the tyranny of slavery. Men are in slavery to sin. And and in anticipation of the coming Messiah, they they put to this tune. And they say, and we sing with them, from our fears and sins, release us. It's interesting to think about the different ways that fear rules men's hearts. And then in the one, two, three, the fourth big piece, but in the second line, it says, rule in all our hearts alone. You're to be freed from sin's tyranny, but to be given to a new ruler. You will have a new king when you've been born again. The the family of God is a kingdom of servants of the king. So let's just praise God for his mercies this time of year when we remember the, the birth of the Savior, the incarnation of the Savior. Our sermon today is, is in uh, Romans chapter 3. The sermon is called Shame and Joy in the righteousness not of ourselves. It's a long title, but it's a, I believe it's as meaningful as, as can be helpful to you. Shame and joy in the righteousness not of ourselves. We're going to start reading Romans 3 at verse 19. Verse 19. And I'm going to read to verse 24. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. I have to read the next line. For all have sinned 
all have sinned. Jews and Greeks, Californians and Americans and British, Chinese, Italian, cowboys and stock traders, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I will stop there. One of the key things of Orthodox Christian faith, one of the true things about our faith has to do with this word justified. Justification is an act of God that takes place at a point in time, which is when you come to faith in Christ You are born again and you are justified and you are saved at that point in time. Justification is a a forensic work of God that takes place at a point in time. It's a legal work of God that takes place at a point in time. And there are Christian cults, there are false religions that, that cannot and will not teach that the scriptures tell you you are saved when you come to faith in Christ. You are a new creature if you have come to faith in Christ. You are saved. Very unique thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's speak for a moment about sin and righteousness. We were speaking mostly about sin last week, but gospel light, gospel light finds all men corrupt in sin and guilty before God. I don't want you to grow weary of that. We've been saying that a lot in these weeks, but it is so crucial. It's so important that we understand the gospel exposes you to the sins you do see and the ones you do recognize and, and it also insists there's way more there than you can see and that, that you will even get and understand in this life. And the reason that this is important is because you should never think you sort of needed to be saved. We should realize that the best there is in humanity desperately needs salvation desperately needs salvation from their sin. So all men are found corrupt in their sin and they're guilty before God and your life and my life experience this in in a very, very short summary in our disregard of God's self-revealed eternal majesty. In other words, one of the first ways you find this to be true in your life is in your disregard. You don't think of his eternal majesty. You don't ponder on it. You don't marvel at it. We also find the evidence of it in our mouths that we're made to bless God. And also, instead, they are used to curse God. They're made to bless men, but they will often revile men and demean men and harm men with words of cruelty and meanness. The life has been given to the creature. You who are a creature who is made in the image of God, life has been given to you and I to 
to hold up the name of God, to glorify the name of God by by proclaiming His great works, by by speaking about His majesty. Your life is to be an adornment on the person of God by the faithfulness of how you live, by the words of your mouth. This is what the creature was made for. But men by their nature, and it's their sinful nature, it's by our fallen nature, make our way, make their way, building their own idea of success, pursuing your own ways, doing your own dreams, the American dream or the Disney dream in America in this generation. Follow your heart's dreams. Your own ideas of success, your own ideas of pleasure, and in many cases, people's own perception of their failures and their own understanding of their miseries. The successful businessman at times can't help but wonder, is this what life is for? And it's because he's only able to follow the the sin nature that drives him and compels him. And, And he realizes in moments like you realize at times, what is the point? the point of our lives until we discover the point of our lives in Christ, of course. The poor, wayward person who hasn't been so successful in the world pondering their misfortune will come to the end of their life the very same as a successful man. They will meet the Creator. They will meet the Judge empty-handed. And no good justification for the way they spent their life. Sin, we're learning and we're being taught and we're remembering it corrupts the soul's reverence. Sin corrupts your your worship. It corrupts your life. It corrupts what we dream about accomplishing. And the mind's desire and and the mouth and the feet is under sin's rule as we were being remembered a moment ago. And it's interesting because whether whether that mind and soul is dressed in a suit or whether it's wearing beggar's clothes, whether it's religious or atheist, whether it's a bragger or, or, or meek, whether it's super fit, and disciplined or completely undisciplined and disheveled. The sinner, we learn, isn't seen by his vocation or his clothes or even his addiction. The, 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 the gospel simply says both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin in 3.9. Men are simply seen, if, if you're a human this is your problem. Are you when an Adam's seed? This is your problem. Jew or Greek, you're all under sin. And, and the light of the gospel in these two and a half chapters, it shines its light on the mind. There's this life of your mind, and the gospel is exposing things in the mind and in the life as well to give you an advantage. And I want to remind you to think about these grim words as an advantage, even in how you share the gospel, maybe how you speak the gospel to yourself. When God is 
magnifying sin in the lives of humanity. It's an advantage. It's an incredible advantage so that men could know themselves in truth. So that you can know yourself in truth when you are humbly able to admit, I I am a sinner. I need a Savior. The advantage is, is that you can know that and then discover who the Savior is. You can seek the righteousness of God in Christ and it's yours when you put your faith in Christ. <laughs> Scripture's declaration of our complete and utter failure to meet God's standard of righteousness is offensive because your pride and my pride, it, it teaches us to find an ally in ourself. So your best friend is you, saying you're actually a great guy. You're a great woman. You're not so bad. Our favorite ally is usually ourself. You're generous, you tell yourself. You deserve some credit, you tell yourself. You're just as good or better than most, you tell yourself. By the light of God's glorious gospel, by the light of the gospel, it is a a moment of clear speaking truth. We're taught to see different, even if it offends you. You're, You're taught to look different and ponder and contemplate differently on your own soul and on your own state. Who are you really and what are you really before God? And we're taught there's none righteous, verse 10, none godly, all have gone out of the way, together unprofitable, verse 12, no fear of God before their eyes, verse 18. The gospel, this is the foundation of the gospel. We learn some interesting things about the law, the law of God which is something for the humble to really contemplate there. Verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law is a thing to magnify the guilt of men. And therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The therefore there means this is what it's for. This is what it's not for. The law is to show that all are guilty. If that's what it's for, then who is it going to make righteous? No, that's not what it's for. The law is so that all the world would know they're guilty. You can't use it to make righteousness. It's not what it's for. That's why he says, therefore, this is what it's for. Therefore, therefore, by deeds of the law, there should be no flesh justified in his sight. Take note of the word justified. We're going to work on that word a little bit here in a minute. Justified. One of the most unexpected discomforts of the gospel is that it insists you are perverse and you are low. Perverse has meanings in in, in many categories of life. We normally think about perversion sexually. And there is sexual perversion. But there's perversion in every realm of life. Perversion is to use something 
in a way it wasn't designed to be used, right? That's what a perversion is. So what's your mouth for? What are your hands for? What are your labors for? What is your worship for? And the gospel foundation insists you are perverse. You are not what you were created to be. But the law of God is meant to show the truthfulness of these facts and these statements. It helps you see what you are and what you are not. It's helpful. It gives clarity and and magnification. I was running the other morning early, earlier than I'm usually able to get out. I'm usually here studying and then I go out when it's a little bit warmer. But for some reason that day I went a little bit earlier. And the sky was so clear and it was so beautiful and I was just enjoying what I was seeing as I was running. And I came around a corner where it was in a bright, bright, low light, pure sunlight. And the light hit me from here and my glasses were covered with dust and smears and and it just irritated me because I couldn't see very well. And it, it If you wear glasses, you know what that's like when it's just so aggravating. And I didn't want to even be able to have that view. I wanted to be in the dark again. And I didn't want to have to be able to see like this. And so, in some ways, I think the law is aggravating to you by showing you things that you just don't really even want to see. You don't want to take time to see it. But it is for you to see. Light has this profound capacity to bring things into visibility. And and the law as it is used in the gospel is to bring to light things that you can't see. You are spiritually ignorant by your nature. And the law gives you the ability... To be able to see what you are ignorant of. And you need to see it. We need to understand our unrighteousnesses. Number one, as we were studying the confession this morning, when we understand the law and the right use of the law, we know the difference between good and bad and right and wrong. And by faith you can walk in rightness. That can't save you. But you can know God's will. It's bad to murder. It's bad to get angry unrighteously because that's a branch of murder. The light of the gospel helps you to see what you can't see. So I I pray you would be humble as you listen to the law and as you feel the law working on you. Proverbs 3.34 says, Surely he scorns the scornful. Surely God scorns the scornful. But he gives grace to the humble. The gospel is for humble men and women. And as you and I hopefully increase in our boldness in sharing the gospel, we we would plead with people to be humble and hear these truths that have been saved for mankind. The gospel lights up what is clean and what is not clean. The law gives knowledge of sin, but it cannot give you a path for justification. Roman 
Colossians 3.19, now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gives a profound knowledge of sin. And I don't know if any of you have experienced this. Some Christians and some non-Christians will go through seasons of their life where men try hard to do really good. Men try real hard for seasons to do right at every turn. Because they, they become compelled that it is right. And what happens to people who begin to live their lives that way? Well, what they find is one of two things. If they're honest, they find they can't do it. But if they're self-righteous, if, if they find themselves successful at every turn, then they become more and more proud of their successes in pursuing this course of life. But verse 20 says, By deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. Justification is... One of the main points of the gospel, justification, is one of the ultimate ends of the gospel. But somehow by men's nature, you and I learn to appeal to law for our justification. So when you first heard someone say, you're a sinner. What is your inner response? What are maybe your words? Why are you so mean? I'm actually a pretty nice person. When you you lodge that argument, do you realize that's called justification? You're justifying yourself. You're making a reason for yourself. You're vindicating yourself. So the first time someone suggests... You have fallen short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. And your little shield goes up. You're just insisting on your own righteousness. You're insisting on your own justification. So men, and and when you have done that, you are relying on your version of the law for your justification. Does that make sense to you yet? When you have built your life this way, when righteousness is yours to define and yours to follow and yours to judge whether it's been followed or not, you're justifying yourself. You're using the law to make you just. And so when someone says, you are failing at just, it makes you mad. Like, who are you to judge me? You can't do that. You have no, you don't even know me. That's what we like to say. You don't even know me. Is that true? We've just been reading Romans 2 and 3. So if I say you're a sinner, can you say, you don't even know me? Oh, yes, I do. 
Because you're just like me. All of sin. And fall short of the glory of God. And no one will be justified by works of the law. Men don't understand how the law works. You cannot be justified by your good works. You must agree this great verse in Isaiah 64, 6. You must agree with Isaiah in the many different ways this is said. We are all like an unclean thing. This takes humility, doesn't it? All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The word literally in Hebrew is... uh, is, is the ancient Hebrew version of a minstrel cloth. So that kind of dirty. This is, this is what your, your good deeds are like. You are unrighteous. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. All of them. Does this sound like Romans chapter 3? All of them. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It's the state of men. The man who comes to the end of this life who is unprepared to present the righteousness that God requires will remember Isaiah's words. If you get to the end of this life bringing to God your own righteousness, verses like this will be brought to witness against you. You will remember Paul's words, there is none righteous, no, not one. And you will remember the testimony of your own conscience, which throughout your life and my life tells us you're a sinner. You sin again with your mouth. You sin again with your actions. Even your perceived moments of good, and I I purposely called them your perceived moments of good. They're they're not really what they seem. They're usually selfishly motivated. And they're crowded together with innumerable dark thoughts and dark words and blasphemies and covetings and whisperings and self-serving pleasures, perversions and idolatries. But listen, this, there, there is shame in the revelations the law makes of you and I. As Paul has taught us to hear and understand what is going on from about 118, where the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, and as the various sins are spelled out, and as the details of what sinfulness looks like, and what corruption looks like, and what ungodly people look like as we see these things there is a reality of man's need and of your need to feel shame because none of us is anywhere near as great as we want to imagine ourselves to be we should be ashamed of that it's one of the purposes of of good gospel preaching right but it's glorious it's glorious. And, and when we realize these, we should and you should and you can rightly praise God for making this revelation known and understandable to you. You can praise God for this because if you would not receive this and if you would not hear this, then you would not seek the righteousness of God. You would be content in yours. It is a mercy 
that he says these things to you that are so shameful. It is a dark, sad moment. And when these moments are repeated for you to be confronted with your own sinfulness, for you to be confronted with your lowliness and your your perversions and the different ways sin is at work in your life. In our, in our phrase in 320, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. This is why this shame and this pressure and this, this confrontation is so necessary because real justification that will result in a vindication before God is necessary. If you are to have eternal life, if you are to have hope in Christ, it is necessary for us to know and understand ourselves in this way. Justification means to acquit. It means to declare righteous. Sometimes we see, we say, it means to be just as if I'd not sin. But to be declared righteous It's the opposite of condemn. And who is the only one who can justify? The judge. God. You can't justify. You can't, you can't get to the end of your life, which could be tonight, or could be tomorrow, or next week. You can't get there and justify yourself. The judge is the one who justifies so coming to God at the day of wrath, which is how it begins there in, uh, in, in, in 118, the wrath of God is revealed. In other words, it's on its way. It's coming. It is a day in our future, a day of the wrath of God. It can be arrived at with peace and hope. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Isn't that the, the joy in being ashamed of your sinfulness? Is that the point of sharing that? Is that the hope of the gospel is to bring you to the day of wrath with hope and joy and with a Savior? But the deeds of the law will not result in your justification. Your good deeds done to earn your favor to God is sort of like putting pearls on a pig. I don't know where I heard that, but people talk about putting pearls on pigs in this context from time to time. Making something beautiful by adorning it on the outside when no matter what you do, it's still just going to be a pig. That's what good deeds are in terms of trying to seek and make your own righteousness, right? That's what good deeds are. You need something other than your righteousness, and this is the key. You need something other than your righteousness because your righteousness is like filthy rags, You must appear before the judge with perfect righteousness in order to be vindicated. And that's that's the contrast he's making. He says the law has done nothing to this point in time in the history of every man who's ever lived. The law has exposed the unrighteousness of all men. And therefore the law has guaranteed that no man will be found righteous before God. No man will be justified before God. With that as the measure. 
Justification is for those found in perfect righteousness. And God's gospel exposes all of this bleakness and darkness so that you might seek another kind of righteousness. So this is the reasoning of the gospel. The law reveals, but it cannot impart. You guys have heard that. The law reveals. The law is excellent. The law is beautiful, but it cannot turn you into what it is describing. It is powerless to do so. Why? Why is the law powerless to turn you into a righteous person? Because you're not a righteous person. It's powerless to do that. The law simply shows holiness. It magnifies sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. This is one of the great, great mysteries of the gospel. Without the law, and this is witnessed by the law and the prophets, he says. Did you notice that? The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by law and the prophets. What does that mean? It means the law says it's true. It means the prophets say this is true. There is a righteousness apart from the law. And here are two witnesses to testify the validity of that statement. The law and the prophets. Look at Psalm 130, verse 3. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Is that affirming the law? Yes. The law says... If God is going to mark iniquities, who will stand? Nobody. The law witnesses that that by that, nobody is going to stand. The prophet, hoping purely in the Lord, knows that nobody will stand if God will mark iniquity. But look at the next verse. No one will stand if God marks iniquity. Verse 4 says, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Isn't that an interesting combination of words? There is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. If you know that there's forgiveness from the judge, then you are allowed to go into his presence and to seek him for help. If there is not forgiveness from the judge, you won't go to him. You will, you will never seek his presence. But there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. So the psalmist knows part of this mystery of how it is that sinners who could not stand if God was going to count them will stand by the forgiveness of the judge. This is known there. Look at Isaiah 118. 
Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Which is a picture of what is condemnable, made, into something clean and then could pass the judgment. Isaiah spoke of this same idea. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though you and I be exposed as terrible sinners by the law and by God's own proclamation Somehow the dirty sinner, the unclean sinner, will be made white as snow. It's glorious hope. It is a glorious promise. There is righteousness by God, we see in verse 22. Backing up to where it says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. There is a righteousness and it is God's righteousness. He is the owner of the righteousness that you can have by faith in Jesus Christ. An utterly alien righteousness to you. It is not yours until it is given to you by faith in Christ. Why is he called Jesus? Why was Mary told to call him Jesus? Because he would save his people from their sins. Matthew 1. Christ means Messiah. Christ means anointed one, Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ would save his people from their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ makes a payment of death, doesn't he? He makes a substitutionary death by giving his own life. He pays the sinner's penalty. How can a sinner be forgiven of the penalty he must pay? Unless a perfect substitute makes that payment for him. We can appear before God the judge without any of our sins. With none of them. When you stand in the righteousness of Christ. Verse 20, therefore by deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law, it's the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, even God's righteousness, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Jews or Greeks, men or women, children and adults, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We can appear before God. Your hope and your joy is that you can appear before God an unworthy sinner wearing the righteousness of Christ. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's righteousness becomes your righteousness. It is the most precious and central truth of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. 1 Corinthians 1.30. For the one who could hear the gospel, for all of us who can hear the gospel exposing our sinfulness as men, confessing our sins, putting our hope and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go up, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of Him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God. What else did He become? Righteousness. The mind of Christ is your wisdom so that you can walk in the wisdom of God, you can live in the wisdom of God by knowing the mind of Christ, by walking in the mind of Christ. In righteousness and sanctification and redemption is ours in Christ. When you stand before the judge, all of your sins are in Christ at the cross. You stand in Christ wearing His righteousness. And God's condemnation does not fall on those who are righteous in Christ. Because His Son is perfect. His Son's righteousness is full and perfect. The Son's obedience, the Son's perfections are yours when you stand in Christ. And the payment for sin that you must pay has been paid in the Lamb who took away the sins of the world. Isn't it glorious? The Lord Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. The all here, just make a note in your margin somewhere, the all here is the Jews and the Greeks. All is a reference to all the different kinds of believers there are. There is no difference. That's the only way to be saved, and it is the glorious way to be saved. We meet God the judge in the righteousness of Christ when we've repented of our sins and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray with you for a minute, and then we're going to sing Angels We Have Heard on High, which is number 179. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I know we have only touched on the concepts of justification. But, oh, Lord, how we have become more and more aware of our need of righteousness when we face the judge. And how we revel in the perfection of the Lord Jesus and his generosity and in his grace. making our hearts soft to know of our own sinfulness and to know of our need for a Savior. Oh God, thank you for making the offer of the gospel in the person of Jesus known to us. We would know 
how to come to the day of wrath in the robes of the righteousness of Christ. Oh God, how we praise you and we thank you. In the name of the great Savior. Amen.